thanks for coming on Shout Out with Sage to, to tell us about um, your journey. And um, I mean, you've had quite the journey, it seems. Uh, wait, let me read all your accolades here. You are a Golden Globe winner, a two-time Grammy winner, you're Oscar-nominated, BMI Trailblazer Award, and two NAACP Image Awards, and those are back-to-back. And this is slick music today. So thank you for coming. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you. And wait, and wait, and who all have you worked with? I mean, that's a long list of people as well. So. <laughs> it's a host of people. Um, just to name a few, Ariana Grande, uh, Chris Brown, uh, Todd Dollasan, Jamie Foxx, Janet Jackson, um, French Montana. I mean, whew, it's a lot of people. <laughs> Ludacris, uh, Trey Songs, et cetera, et cetera. I've uh, been working with a lot of people for quite some time. Were any of them instrumental? Like, did any of them also, like, uh, help you out at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, I say everybody I worked with, I had opportunity to work with, was instrumental uh, just in, in my growth uh, musically, but not just musically, just as an individual, you know, and, and as a businessman and, and just understanding uh, the music business, right? Um, not okay, just wait, I'm gonna stop you there. So what are what are some things that you didn't know before that you then learned about the music business? Well, you know, the music business, I mean, when I first moved out to uh, California back in 2013, um, I didn't I didn't quite know anything. I was just a young kid that was uh, you know anxious to to get a, a hit record and just to do what I love for full time for a living. Um, I didn't understand nothing about publishing like that. I didn't understand points and, and uh, you know, royalties and things of that nature and how important it is, uh, you know, for you in the long run, long term. So I say just being able to work with these different people and, and you know, even like with Babyface, um, him just really sitting down and understanding the paperwork and split sheets um, and things of that nature that really helped open my perspective to uh you know it's really important that you make sure you take care of your business up front right you, you i mean you're doing it to you know provide a living so Absolutely, yeah. Not, yeah and yeah. so what some of the things like specifically like let's say someone's just um you know they're working their way up in the industry like what's like one tip that you could give someone in regards to like more of the business part of the business uh, I, I would say um relationships i would start there um relationships are the most valuable thing you can have in this line of business uh simply to me from my experience rather uh because <clears throat> the relationships can carry you further than uh you know any any uh education or uh or i mean you can even know everything about the music business but if you don't have the relationships that you've nurtured and, and developed, you know, formed throughout the, throughout the years or just throughout time, even if you're new into the game, right? So when you're first coming in, you know, go to different events, go to mixers and different networking events that, um, you know, different people, producers, songwriters, managers, A&Rs, executives, mm -hmm. and, you know, begin to develop a relationship with them. Don't always look for money right away. You know, if you're in this business, to try to get rich overnight or try to come up real quick. 
then you might become famous. Yeah, you, you might as well not even do it. I'm not saying it's not possible because there are some some uh, uh, social media like overnight sensations right. and TikTokers and stuff like that. But I mean, that's just that's not everybody's story. So just to be realistic, you know, you wanna you wanna have you wanna keep the passion for it and really just know that you're doing this for the long for the long run. You know, you're not just doing this to try to get rich or famous. Uh, in the next two or three months because you know as a producer my first big hit was with ariana grande and back in 2013 but i mean of course when you do that record that don't mean you get paid immediately like i didn't <laughs> see, i didn't see money for like you know maybe almost a year before i started seeing royalties off of that song you know okay yeah. so definitely don't quit your day job at bank of america no, is what no, you're saying that's what i did but that's not i wouldn't advise everybody to do that yeah I was um i think yeah, I think I read somewhere, or, or we talked about it when we first met, um, that you just quit your job and you moved to LA. Like, what spearheaded that? What What was the final decision to make that type of a big move? For me, I think it was just I was at a point in my life where um, it just I just didn't feel fulfilled uh, with what I was doing. Waking up every day going to clock in um, at a job. And the, the thing is, I, my job was actually, I had a good job, you know, for my age mm -hmm. at the time. And I was doing pretty good to be in, you know, the job that I had, the position that I had. But it wasn't like my purpose. You know, I didn't feel like I was fulfilling uh, the purpose that I had. And I wasn't us utilizing my gifts correctly uh, to the full potential. And I, I knew inside of me, I just had this burning desire that, I, I was able to do more, but I knew I had to put myself in position um, to give myself the correct opportunity to uh, flourish like I needed to. So it was just a matter of it was preparation for sure. I didn't just, um, <clears throat> you know, just jump over. I mean, it was like I took about a year to, to mm -hmm. I mean, I was saving money. I was flying back and forth to California and New developing York. developing those relationships. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was meeting, uh, like I said, my friend, Iraq. Um, you know, he really was very instrumental at that time because he would come, he would go out with me to California to set up those meetings with different uh, record labels and executives, publishing companies for me to play my music, um, just to play my tracks and stuff for them. And I mean, it, not, nothing happened right away, you know, it took, it took some time. But then after I felt like I was in a position to where I had some money saved, enough money saved up. And I said, you know what? It's either now or never. You know, I'm either going to do this now, or I'm going to stay where I'm at. And you know, at the time, it, it just made it made sense for me. If I failed, then at least I said I tried. You know, at least right. I, you know, said I, hey, I tried, gave it my all, and it didn't work out. And the cool so thing, was, did you have any fear at that time? I was very nervous. <laughs> I was very mm -hmm. nervous about it, uh, simply because, I mean. I had never been out of Texas at the one. Well, I've been, I had been out of Texas for vacation and stuff, but I never lived anywhere other than Dallas. I never mm -hmm. relocated um, and lived anywhere other than Dallas, Texas. So, you know, I didn't know anybody other than who um, IROC had connected me to in Los Angeles at that time. I, it, I was completely fresh to the city. <laughs> I see. Yeah. And um, what, I mean, were you okay with taking that risk? You you were fine with taking that type of a risk? I was. Um, 
and that's why I was saying I, the reason why I felt so secure or just reassured about it was because I had a really good relationship with the vice president at um, at my job at the time. And uh, she told me when I put my two week notice in, she I, I went and talked to her and she was like, look, I already knew it was coming. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, everybody was in, you know, you're intimidated. This is the VP you're talking about. This is just not your manager, you know. You're talking about the VP of the company, but mm-hmm. I had a lot of favor with that with that uh, individual. She was um, very very fond of me and and my and my gift and talent. She had put me over a uh, uh, we had like a talent show every like once a month at the job. So she okay. had she had put me over there. Yeah, so I was like DJing and bringing in bands and yeah, artists, being very talented. Yeah, it was very really useful. <laughs> Yeah, at the job, yeah, at, the, at Bank of America. So it just it changed the entire culture and camaraderie of everything there, and they they really so they 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 supported my my move. You know, they were very supportive of it, and she said if anything didn't work out accordingly, that I could come back to okay. uh, to Bank of America. That's great. So that yeah, that I was like, look, okay, that's all I needed to hear. So it's time for me to, you know, well that that would give you added security that you would know that you had another a, a place to come back to and you know it wasn't just like yeah okay bye see you later but right. i think we have to go to a break right now so right. just hold that thought and um we'll see if we're going to a break All right. <laughs> not <laughs> <clears throat> Okay. Hi, how are how are how is everyone? We're back. So you were talking about your move to LA and so you had that backup at Bank of America. So I guess that gave you some security. And then when you got to LA, how was that? How was that adjustment? Uh that was a uh culture shock for me <laughs> um, simply because I, I, you know, growing up in Texas, being a country boy, you know, everybody would see me as, um, I mean, Dallas is a big city though. Don't get me wrong. Dallas is huge, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, a, it was just a different speed as far as, um, you know, the grind and just really getting to it out there. I mean, I was just like so surprised everybody on each 
corner was like very gifted <laughs> and had like a guitar strapped to him or playing a keyboard on the on the side of the street or like everybody was just out there really hustling and, and trying to make it happen, you know. Um versus back home it's just like you have a lot of talent but you didn't see it, you know, mm-hmm. you didn't see so many people that was after the same thing like that. So it just really uh but the thing was it it, it fueled me to want to go harder and to want to work harder. Uh, it just really motivated me to to step my game up, you know. And but I've been I've been working so so long uh, prior to moving out there that I was ready just on my craft, you know. So my craft was very very sharp. Uh, my music was really good at, even at that time. That's what gave me the, the opportunity to get indoors. Uh, when I, well when I got the opportunity, the people let me in to do sessions and collaborations because my, they felt my music was good, you know, good enough to work with them. So it just, uh, I say it just really uh, helped me to elevate um, my sound and my music, my craft, by moving to LA. And who's your, who's been the favorite person to work with? Hmm, that's a good question. I've had a, a lot of great talent that I've worked with. I would say my top two would absolutely be Ariana and Tori Kelly. Yeah. And, and what about them? The what reason was appealing. Pardon? I, I think the reason why um, I would say because just the <laughs> level of, of ability to um, the sing. I mean, they can they can sing like <laughs> they can sing like really really good. So I mean, just to see how much talent they really got, and to see them in the booth in action, like recording the songs, and uh, you know hitting all these different notes and things it's just that process it, it was it was mind-blowing um tori kelly she she's amazing i mean she's simply amazing because she can play the guitar and sing so well together it's like multitasking is it's a whole different kind of talent you know to be able to do those two things at the same time so i was able to learn a lot from too from her and ariana both um just really uh learning how to you know, because songwriting, they both did some co-writing on the songs that, that was their songs. Uh, it was a collective group effort. So I like that most about them, that they were very involved in uh, the writing and record uh, production process of their records. Do you help write the lyrics or you just produce like the music end of things? I do both. Um, it just depends on the record and the situation. Um, I have a team of writers that I cultivated now that I work with uh, go-tos at the same time I also have colleagues that are you know Grammy award-winning songwriters that uh, may call me into a a, you know a project call me in on a project that they're working on and I'll strictly do production Uh, but really I I can do either one both I just try to be you know get in whichever way I can to help and uh, better the record so if I may co-write on this song, it may not do as much production. That's still fine, but another song I may do more production and not any writing at all. So I, I try to do both. I see. Yeah. And um, I know on the personal side of things, you've had uh, some, you know, very harrowing tales, and you're now writing a book about that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about? Um, I know you were in a coma for for a while, so why don't you give us a little bit of info? 
Okay. Okay. So I try to be in a nutshell with it. Um, so when I was living in LA from that time, from 20, 2013 up to 2016, um, everything was going well. You know, my career was taking off and I was working with a lot of people, but <clears throat> toward 2015 going into 16, I was, kind of started lacking on just, you know, self-care of, um, you know, like really just getting proper rest, overworking myself, exhaustion. And I was just so concerned about got to do better, got to be better, got to, you know, just chasing the next hit, chasing the next platinum mm -hmm. record, chasing the next Grammy <clears throat> um, that I forgot about myself. I forgot about my health and it ended up leading me to getting gallstones, um, and if anybody's familiar with it, um, gallstones are not life-threatening or anything, but you have a procedure, um, normally a day procedure, that's only about an hour or so to go in and they'll remove the gallbladder, kind of like your appendix. It's kind of like mm -hmm. a similar type of surgery, right? It's not life-threatening or anything. So should have been a quick in-and-out situation, but um, I came back home for that surgery back to Dallas. And there was complications with that procedure <clears throat> uh, just simply because there was some things that happened happened that uh, ended up causing my lungs to be injured, uh, punctured severely during that procedure. And I was totally fine, completely healthy other than those gallstones. And then mm -hmm. just like that, a matter of an hour, uh, my entire life had changed. I ended up being on my deathbed and bleeding internally, um, my lungs collapsed. Uh, I mean, they had to put me on a ventilator and everything. And then by that, by that night, going into the next morning, um, they induced me into a coma, which ended up being wow. for 33 days. Oh my God. And it was just a freak, just a freak thing. Yeah, just a, just a freak thing. And, and, and it's like, um, it was a mistake. I mean, it's just like, it's, I think I looked up the, the statistics, it's like one in every million or something, or one in every 800,000 people that that would happen to, you know, it's like very rare that that happens, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, even at the time of me just uh, going into that coma, I actually flatlined um, a total of five times um, completely gone, you know, flatline coated, just uh, my body was completely overwhelmed. My lungs had were completely, you know, destroyed and collapsed. And yeah, flatline a total of five times during that. Five, five times? Five times. And they brought you back each time? Yes. Wow. During that 33-day coma. And so this is what you've written your book about, correct? Yes. It, it, or it, partly about that? Yeah, that's that's what it's solely about, and also um, about what I saw and what I experienced during the time that I flatlined and that I died because I, I remember uh, those. Okay, things. and yeah. do you want to share any of that with us, or we have to buy the book? <laughs> we can, I mean, I can kind of talk a little bit about it, <laughs> but um, I mean, just me being uh, going to heaven and. I mean, these are experiences that I saw, you know, that mm -hmm. I actually saw. These were not hallucinations or uh, dreams or anything like that. Like, I know for a fact this is things that actually happened to me. Being completely out of body, 
um, even one time, like going to so, so many different like realms out of out of body uh, experiences that I had, and um, being in heaven at one time and talking to family members that I that I saw that had passed away, you know, prior to, um, and just different individuals that I saw, and then even being over my body at one time and seeing the doctors operating on me, which my my family my mother confirmed that it, that they had done because of course i didn't know at the time because i was in a coma but i saw it you know mm -hmm. while i was out of my body so there's a lot of different things that i experienced out of body um supernatural things that you know can't be made up that i that i experienced and i'm just sharing those experiences uh in my book and you know along with just the entire journey and the, the miracles that took place for me to um, come back from that because uh, the doctors had said that there was no coming back from that. I like had a 1% chance of surviving that, um, you know, that incident. So it's 1%. 1%. Yeah. My lungs, cause my, my lungs were, they said my lungs were in such bad shape as if uh, someone had, you know, like a motorcycle, fatal motorcycle accident or, just something, you know, like a really tragic accident. Mm -hmm. And uh, once your lungs are uh, damaged so badly, um, there's no, there's no like um, regenerating them or, you know, yeah. to a certain, yeah, a certain degree. So it was an absolute miracle that took place um, at some point in that coma for me, for my lungs to, I mean, I didn't have no transplants or none of that. Like my, these are the same lungs in my right. body right now and they are completely fine completely healed like i have no issues oh wow so there's no repercussions from that nothing I mean, I'm, I'm i'm working out i have a personal trainer i'm back playing sports you know i'm a very outdoors guy i used to play uh football play semi-pro right. college football prior to me you know moving to los angeles and pursuing my pursuing my music full-time so i'm back to doing all those things and like nothing ever happened. So oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm very thankful, very grateful to be alive. I know for a fact that um, you know, I'm a walking miracle and I'm thankful for that. So that's why I moved the way I move now. And I wanted to be able to write this book to, you know, shed some light and encourage somebody, especially during the time that we're going through with a pandemic and right. um, you know, there's so many things going on, so much darkness going on, just try to help someone. Did the experience, the near-death experience, how did that change your view of the world, you know, moving forward from that? I say, uh, well, it, cha it changed my, my view, my perspective of the world in so many different ways. Uh, starting out with, uh, it just really, I remember one of the first things that really blew my mind was how the world kept going. Like, I remember before I went under, uh, I think LeBron <laughs> was playing. It, it was the NBA playoffs at the time. Mm -hmm. And oh, as a matter of fact, just a, a fun fact. Uh, what's today? Today is the June the fifteenth. Mm -hmm. June the fifteenth. Yeah, I was actually still in the coma right now. This is actually during the the time of the thirty three days that I was okay. in the coma six years ago today. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't wake up until June the twentieth. Of 2016, okay. yeah. So, okay, wow. yeah. So right now, I would have still been under uh, this time, just today, six years ago. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but back to what I was saying, um, I remember before I went under, LeBron and I think Steph Curry, they were in the playoffs. They were playing each other <laughs> and um, in the NBA playoffs. And then that was the last thing I remember. When I woke up, I think LeBron had won the NBA title. Um, a couple of people had passed away. A couple of celebrities had passed away. Like, I mean, it's like a whole lot of things had taken place just in that um, that month time mm -hmm. space. A lot of things had like taken place, and people had went on with their lives, and different things had just kept mm -hmm. moving. And I was like, wow! Like, no matter what happens to you, I'm not saying people don't care. They do. You know, my family, my friends. I'm so thankful for them. Those but other people are. Yeah, yeah, but the world just keeps moving like it never stops. And with that, the world's going to keep moving while we take a break. <laughs> <laughs> so hold your thoughts. Right, cool. <laughs> so hopefully we'll take a break right now. Okay. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> it's a good segue, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Sorry, we're having technical issues and I'm in New York and I was running around trying to sort out all this audio stuff. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> okay, we're back. How are things? So, so you were talking about your near-death experience and how it changed your life afterwards. So let's, I guess, keep going with that. Yeah, so that's one of the things I was saying about just um, the world kept going. People kept living. Um, events kept happening. Life kept happening, you know. And it just really showed me that, you know, life is nothing but a vapor. Like, it's... You can be here today and gone today, you know, just like that. You know, I mean, I was totally fine before that happened. And just like the, the blink of an eye, I was fighting for my life, you know, facing death. And um, it just made me become very grateful and just, um, you know, appreciate the moments, live in the moments, appreciate the process, the progress. Um, you know, did you become did you become more like adamant about things like more passionate or were you, did you become more relaxed like a little more zen about things like how how did you react i was always very passionate i felt like uh even prior to that incident happening but mm -hmm. after the fact I, I became extremely passionate about about things and then but but at the same time i also stopped stressing so much about things um and i appreciated things more you know it wasn't like okay did this on to the next 
on to the next, on to the next. Because, you know, we live in a, in a day where everything is like right now, right? Microwave. It's like everybody wants it right now real fast. And instead, instead of just, you know, living in the moment and enjoying that moment, you know, everybody's like on to the next thing. But for me, you know, it was could have been over for me in 2016, you know, just like that. I could have been a memory. So it just really helped me to open my eyes and understand that you got to appreciate and also value your family. You know, mm. uh, shout out to my mom and my family <laughs> for uh, really just being there at the time, like, you know, not giving up on me. The doctors even wanted them to pull the plug, you know, every week. Oh, wow. Yeah, every mm. week she said that they, they would uh, come in and ask her, you know, to make final peace with me. They even told her to call other funeral homes and make arrangements and everything mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't looking good. It wasn't looking. I needed a miracle to survive or to make it out of that. And so, I mean, now I just I appreciate my family, my friends, those those close to me. And I take care of myself, too. You know, I take care of myself better, my health. Um, I eat cleaner. You know, I work out more. Um, I guess I get sleep at night, you know, I, I it's, it's not going anywhere. You know, I mean, what's for you is for you. You know, you're going to be successful. It's going to happen. You just got to let it happen. Just got to enjoy the process. So, you know, just things that matter. That's that's what really opened my eyes. And how was the writing process for you? Did that happen quickly? Like, are you a writer? I mean, you are a musician. So, I mean, writing's not like a foreign thing. You mean um, as far as with the book? Yeah, for the book, yes. Like, how long did it take you to write the book? What's the title of the book, etc.? Yeah, the, well, for up, up top, the title of the book is called 33 Days because that was the amount of days mm-hmm. I was in a coma. Um, I have uh, the well-known song, uh, not songwriter, the well-known book writer, uh, author Zane, best-selling author Zane, helping me uh, co-write and the book. And um, we have actually been working on this book. I mean, the moment I opened my eyes, I started sharing my experiences. So we've been at it, uh, you know, for some time. But I say, uh, you know, now it was just I had to put all the right pieces together in order to make it you now before I wanted to launch it. So uh, Montel Jordan, uh, recording artist Montel Jordan, he's actually my mentor as well um, for some years. Uh, shout out to him too. I want to shout out <laughs> to him as well. Uh, he and actually, how, how, did, how did Montel help you like with your career? Montel actually, <laughs> he found me on MySpace back in, <laughs> it was MySpace, right? Back in 2000. Wow, that's, yeah. Yeah, back in 2006. You're um, not dating yourself or anything. Either. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. But it was it was crazy because it was very random. It was just uh, he was just browsing through social MySpace. Media. Yeah, MySpace, and it was uh, you could put music like artists and producers and and whoever they could put music on their page, and they gave us the ability to do that. So he clicked on my stuff, and I guess he was loving what he was hearing. So he inboxed me. And uh, okay, and what were you? What type of music were you playing at that time? Uh, these were just tracks. These were beats, mm-hmm. and uh, okay. I mean. I had a, a mixture. Uh, I think it, I put up like maybe eight beats and it was random, like uh, some R&B, some hip hop, pop, you know, it was just random, uh, different genres. Cause I, I produce all genres of music. I don't just produce, uh, you know, one certain genre. I, I pretty much try to do everything cause I play three different instruments. 
So okay. I try to be very fluent with my sound. Yeah. But yeah, he he reached out and then um he flew me out to Atlanta like wow. a weeks later, yeah. And we That's just, amazing. That's a, yeah. I love these type of stories, like all these <laughs> chance encounters and serendipitous yeah. events and like how things happen in your life and so and with those you always you always say yes to those type of things or is there any time where there might be someone you meet or an opportunity that presents itself where you would say no like it doesn't sort of fit what you're doing or where you're going yeah you know i mean well at this point in my career absolutely you know it has to make mm -hmm. sense so what mm -hmm. i'm doing i've been building a brand brick by brick for um you know, obviously over 10 years now. And right. it's just, um, you know, I mean, when I was younger and, and early on when I first met him, you know, of course, at that time, you're just trying to find an opportunity, um, not look like an opportunist, but, right. you know. You no, just, I mean, you meet people for a reason. I always yeah, think yeah. like, hey, we met. And that was like a right a chance encounter at some event on the red right. carpet. And like, hey, hey, how are yeah, you? How are you? Right. You never know how you're going to meet people. So exactly. So it, it's just one of those things. Like when I was younger, it was it was I was just very um, excited and wanted to get in and lock in with people that were had been in the industry and had experience. And I wanted to learn and grow and let them hear my music. So that's that's what happened. And but Montel has been like a very good friend of mine now for I mean yes yeah, since 2006. So he flew out in 2016. He flew out to uh, Dallas to see me from Atlanta and he was there. I had pictures and everything uh, that he took while I was in a coma. He was there with me and uh, praying for me and everything. Like, you know, was there my family? He brought them food and just comfort them as well. Him and his Montel and his wife, Kristen. So I'm very thankful for them. They're like family to me now. And he's mm -hmm. actually, uh, he wrote the book forward um, on 33 days book that I have coming out this fall. So he wrote the forward on that. And oh, he wrote the book. Okay, so he wrote the board. That's very sweet of him. So, and and the um, the release of the book, Thirty Three Days, will be um, this fall, um, toward the end of September. I'll have a official date uh, coming okay. soon, probably, probably by the end of July, and we'll be doing pre sales as well in August. So, um, and where, are you, like, are you being published through a publisher? And like, all we're actually we're actually self publishing. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to, yes, I'm just self-publishing everything, but I'm going to do a, a book tour. I'm going to, you know, go from city to city and, mm -hmm. uh, we'll definitely be out here putting in some legwork for it. So everything okay. will be posted on my social media too. Okay. And what's your social media? My social, well, my Instagram is at slick music, S L I K K M U Z I K. And also my Twitter is at Slick Music, S-L-I-K-K-M-U-Z-I-K. It's all the same across YouTube, Facebook, they're all the same. I remember when we were talking, you know, before the show and stuff, you were talking about your experience working with Kanye. So um, I thought yes. that was, like, interesting how, um, how, how was working with Kanye? I completely forgot. I don't even know why I didn't mention that when, you, when we talked about it earlier with Ariana and Tori. <laughs> Um, I, I, I actually have to, I'm going to keep those two, but I'm going to put Kanye at the top of that. And the reason why I'm going to say Kanye was probably that, that session was probably one of the most monumental sessions I've had, uh, simply because I respect and value Kanye as a, just, I mean, as a producer and artist, like he was a really dope producer and 
a big influence on me as being a producer earlier on in my in my uh, career when I was first, you know, getting started because he was, you know, producing music for um, Jay-Z and different ones like that. So um, I think he really has been an inspiration to me for a long time. And for me to like actually had an opportunity to get in the studio and work with them uh, personally was incredible. I mean, him, he was there, Future pulls up, Travis Scott is there, we're all in there just rocking out. And I mean, it was incredible. I mean, you can't, the energy that was in that, in that studio was unmatched. It was crazy. Yes. I can imagine. Yes. No cameras. So fun. No cameras, no cell phones. <laughs> they not playing. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. And, it, sorry, go ahead. I just said it was awesome. We had a great time. Great and time. what album was that? Like, what were you working on at that time? Oh, the, the Down to Two album. The sorry? Down, down to Two. We were working on okay. Down to Two. Yeah. Yeah, this was just and, recently. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And what else? What else are you working on? Is there anyone that you're working with? Uh, any yeah. artists right now that are exciting or what's Absolutely. going on? Absolutely. Um, right. I mean, it's only, I mean, I can, I can say what I'm, who I'm working with. I just can't say, mention too much, but I can just right. say, you know, I'm in collaborations right now with uh, some stuff for uh, Fast and Furious, uh, Fast X, uh, with, with Vin Diesel, French Montana, Wiz Khalifa, Spring Break, um, Future. Also working on um, some some collaborations with Janae Iko and Big Sean right now, um, as well as uh, uh, Tamar Braxton uh, working with her on some stuff. Um, Dirk working with him on some stuff right now. The rapper. Okay. I mean, it's I, <laughs> I'm staying busy, so I'm yeah, I, yeah, I'm staying busy. So I got some uh, I got some good projects coming up that I'm thankful that I was called in to work on right now and i'll just be like i said on my instagram and other social media platforms i'll be keeping the updates going you know mm -hmm. as they come out earlier in your career like when you were first starting out were people did most people believe in you were there people going oh you're a dreamer uh, you'll you know you'll never make it or were most people like yeah you're very talented uh well yeah a little bit of both um, one thing I did, I could, I can say is uh, my city, Dallas, uh, the DFW area, I had a lot of support um, from my city as far as like being, uh, I guess, well known as a, as an upcoming producer out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of love and support there. So I had a name and a buzz in my city before I moved to California mm -hmm. um, already. So, you know, that just gave me more confidence and to go out and you know, go out there and just be brave. But of course you always got to have, you know, the haters or the naysayers, right? I mean, it's, it wouldn't be right. But at the same time, I let <laughs> Not everyone out. can love you, right? Not right, everyone. yeah. You know, if I, I tell people all the time, if, if you don't have any haters, then you're not doing something right. Right, right. You exactly. can't be doing something right. <laughs> but it, but it, it really just, for me, I, I, I use it as fuel. And it's like, you know, I just use it as like motivation, you know, so... There's a lot of people that was being very critical of my stuff, like at the back earlier on, right when I was about to move to Los Angeles. I mean, they were they're, sorry, they're being critical. You said critical, yeah, of my music. Yeah, they was like, oh, he's oh. doing too much. His music is too busy, or you know, it's just like mm. he's, he's a great musician, but he's just like 
you know, his stuff is not just, a good producer. Like you, yeah. you're good at each instrument, but not yeah, but, but putting it all together. Yeah. So I would say, you know, for me to go in the game, moving into LA and being able to work with Babyface and Ariana right off the top. I and say, how, how did Babyface come about? That was when um, my friend Irock, the one that used to live in LA that moved to Dallas, he connected me with one of his uh, friends named Chris Riddick, who is with a group by the name of the Rascals. It's Chris Riddick and Leon Thomas and their uh, production team, production writing team. Mm -hmm. And they were assigned to Babyface um, at that time. I had met them first. I didn't know they were signed to Babyface, but we were collaborating. Okay. Uh, when I flew out a couple times, we had, you know, got in the studio and just started collaborating on, on tracks and on writing different songs and demos. So they invited me out one of the times I flew out. They invited me to Babyface's studio. I didn't even know it was his studio um, until I got there. And then yeah, I saw oh, what's going on? Where am I? Guitars <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> you know? But I mean, people that know that work with Kenny understand what I'm talking about. It, I mean, amazing. You know, he's the GOAT. But like, um, to be in, we were in Studio B just working and you know, creating ideas and stuff. And then he just happens to walk in while we're in there creating and I'm mm -hmm. working on a beat. And he didn't say anything. He just walked in, grabbed one of his guitars off the wall and walked back out and then say a word. The next day, the guys, uh, they text me. It was like, yo, Babyface was really feeling your, your music last mm -hmm. night. Studio. Wow, session. that's amazing. That's <laughs> it's like, man, that's an honor, you know, so to get that kind of, uh, you know, I guess feedback from that was incredible. But that's what led to him, just that simple, that one session, writing session, and he happened to walk in at that time hearing me, you know, produce and um, loved what he heard. That gave me the opportunity to work on a song with him, which led to being a song that he presented to Ariana Grande, which ended okay. up being a record that went to be number one billboard. Uh, across the world for over 152 weeks or something like that. So, okay. Yeah. And are there any other serendipitous events or um, chance encounters that you've had with other people that have been momentous? <laughs> I mean, it's it's several. Um, I'm just trying to think of another one that just there's, there's a lot. Yeah. It, it honestly seemed like every almost every placement or song or record that I worked on um, that I had the opportunity to work on was, oh, J the Jamie Foxx story. So the way I met Jamie Foxx, okay. um, me and my friends were some of my buddies, you know, I hung around a lot of songwriters and producers, right? So mm -hmm. I'm living in the Valley and we had went to a studio session out and um, we was like, you know what, man, we've been working hard for the last couple of days. Let's go to the beach. Like, okay, cool. So we was going to go to Santa Monica Pier, which everybody, you know, knows where that's. Yeah, yeah. If you're in L.A., you know Santa Monica Pier. So we, we go there, and it was just so packed. It was like, you know what, man, we couldn't find any parking. So we went up to Malibu Malibu Beach. We was like, let's just go up to Malibu Beach, and uh, we'll just, you know, chill out there for a while. And so we, we went up there, and we set up, you know, just out there by the beach, and I look over to the left and like it's Jamie Foxx over there playing throw you know throwing a football with his <laughs> with his with his kid you know and I'm like oh wow 
Yeah, just extremely random. We didn't even, I didn't, I don't know how we didn't see him. We mm -hmm. was, you know, we was just talking amongst each other, laughing and joking, and we sat up there, and yeah, Jamie was like right there. So we was like, oh, there's Jamie. <laughs> so we went over and um, introduced ourselves, you know, and he was like, oh, what's going on, fellas? And then when he found out I was from, you know, Dallas, because Jamie's from Terrell, Terrell Texas, which is mm -hmm. a small town just right outside of Dallas, not even 15, 20 minutes outside of Dallas. And we actually have family that are uh, related. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. You did so, 23 and me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, me, he, he and I aren't related, but like oh, my cousins is like one of his cousins, cousins or something down the way. But yeah, 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 I it's, crazy. yeah it's crazy how it worked, but I told him and he was just like, Oh, that's what's up. Okay. So he would call me Texas. All right. What's going on, Texas? So he invited us over to his, house um that following weekend you know just to party have a good time and we went over and had a blast you know chris brown was there um i mean who wasn't there everybody was there <laughs> uh we had a, we had a really good time and uh from there he brought me in to work well he was sitting on a piano in the pool house playing his piano that's like a thing that he loved to do and sing i mean very gifted guy right and uh, we're in there and we just started vibing and creating the song. And next thing you know, it led to me producing, co-producing with him on a record, uh, on his last record that he put out. Okay. So, yeah, but it was like totally from just going to the beach on a random weekend, and he just happened to be there. That's crazy. That's like, Great. that's a very typical sort of LA story, I think. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, it blew me away. You know, this it was just crazy how it worked out. So, that was cool. Have you, especially at the beginning, I'm sure there's been, a, um, you know, some obstacles and that you've had to overcome. What were some of those? Um, I think some of the biggest obstacles are as far as, you mean, in music, just with music and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just trying to, you know, find your way, you know, get in, getting in where you fit in and just paving your way into the industry because, you know, there's so many great talented, uh, songwriters and producers and artists and different talent that, you know, you have to be able to, I mean, not be, not be like aggressive with it, but you just, you know, you got to have a backbone, you know, mm -hmm. you got to have a backbone in this industry. This is not cut out for everyone. A lot of people see the fame or see, you know, the accolades and things, the Grammys and all that, but they don't mm -hmm. understand the backstory behind that. All the losses that were taken, you know, all the, the embarrassing moments or um, that the projects I did without getting any pay, the projects that I worked on without getting any publishing, um, being taken advantage of, you know, money being stolen or hidden. You know, I mean, there's so many different stories that I had to, I mean, I could share. Yeah. But that I right. went through experiences that well, I had. How about sharing like one that's like, I don't like focusing on bad things, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can always learn a lesson. So, yeah, especially always... for some of them, more for the people that are just sort of starting out, I think it could be a valuable lesson for someone to. Yeah, all, all lessons totally. Um, I mean, I'll just say like this: uh, just working on a on a major A list project where you think 
uh, you, you get a phone call to come in to produce this project uh, with someone and they give you the understanding that, you know, hey, we're going to make sure we take care of you. We're going to compensate you for <laughs> your time. We're going to make sure you get publishing. Yeah, um, yeah. We've all heard these stories. Yeah, we've all heard them, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's just, it's like, it just, it doesn't change. I mean, unless you, you know, you never get what you, your worth, you never get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And that's what I tell people, you know, is so should someone always like have like, should you always have a contract then? Like you shouldn't just trust a handshake or someone's word. Like, how do you go about when you say you should always negotiate? How do you tackle that? Well, you have to you have to fill the room, though. You know, I mean, some some situations you don't ever want to walk in the studio, you know, because everybody knows, you know, 95 or 99 percent of relationships and everything in the music business is just the vibes or just the industry period. It's all about vibing and the energy being good. You know, you don't want to just throw a contract in somebody's face. Hey, you just, can you sign this? Yeah. Right you just, now. Nah, you want to, you want to cultivate that relationship. You want to create a bond and, you know, mm-hmm. you want to water it and nourish it and let it, you know, form and let it build. But at the same time, you have to know it's really good to just have representation. That way you don't have to be the bad guy. Right, you know, right. Um, that's why it's really important to have management or, uh, you know, really lawyer, good, legal, yeah, legal attorneys on your side and ready to have those conversations, those uncomfortable conversations. Because I was in personally had experiences where I would be, you know, I'm big bro and then big bro and that, and I'm little bro, and it's it's like we family, we family, we brothers, and this and that. But then at the end of the day, when it came time to take care of business. You know, I got the short end of the stick, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's like if you question uh, anyone or if you try to rock the boat, then you're the bad guy or you're the villain, you know, a lot of times because, you know, it's just the way it goes, you know, with certain people that you work with in the industry and um, people that well, been- I would imagine, yeah, when you're, when you're trying, when you're first starting out, especially yeah, people at the top. Yeah, you should be grateful that you're even on that in the room with that person, you know, you should be even grateful that you're even having an opportunity because there's a million other kids out there that would love to have that opportunity. So, um, but at the end of the day, you just got to know, you know, you got to know your worth. You got to understand your value and also understand how to, you got to understand people, you know, you got to understand people and you got to understand that, you know, this business is about relationships. So, there's been times where I didn't I didn't make any money up front on a record, but it ended up charting number one, and I ended up making a bunch of money on the next record because I didn't uh, I didn't you know throw paperwork in their face right away, um, but they looked out and they remembered you know that I showed that love or that I did that favor for them, right. and the record went on to be successful, and now the next record. You know, I got like eight cuts on the, on the next record, including the single because of that, you know, uh, that loyalty with that relationship. But, you know, every situation is different. You just got to again, you got to know people and you got to fill the room and, you know, check the temperature. So. Right. Right. But I'm sure there's also been circumstances where that has been the opposite, you know, where they oh, haven't absolutely. remembered you. And sorry. No, I was I was agreeing. I was. Agreeing. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah, like yeah. those situations where it was like <laughs> you you try you know you try to be the nice guy and then they take complete advantage of it you know 
and they mm. take complete advantage of it and they're like yeah like no you but i but i played keys on this song or i did you know the strings and the guitars or whatever okay at the end of the day no you're not the producer of the song though <laughs> you know so it just it just depends on i've been in every situation i feel like now that that could possibly you know happen you know to experience but <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing you haven't experienced right? like yeah throw fire at me i can take it i got it yeah so i mean i i've, I've you know i've learned but again like you said earlier everything is a lesson you know i i use it all as um lessons and just learn from those experiences and that's why you know that's made me a better person today now i understand it was one time i didn't i didn't know how to you know really uh develop or cultivate relationships i didn't understand that how important relationships were and i was mm -hmm. just i was mad and i was like oh you're gonna give me what you know you go, i'm gonna get publishing and i'm gonna get this and that and not, not understanding really all you're doing is just messing that relationship up so you, like, okay. you, see, you got it yeah, you got to know when to pick your battles and which battles to pick in the fight and when not to, you know. But again, that's just all about, I, I think that just comes from experience. You know, I think everybody kind of has to go through that when you're entry level and when you're first up and coming, because there's not a mm -hmm. manual. <laughs> there's, not, <laughs> like, there's no script that you go off of. You know, everybody's kind of just out here trying to figure it out, you know. Right. So that's why it's important for me you know, to just give back, even with 33 days in my book, you know, I'll be dropping some nuggets and gems in there just about from the experiences that I've had, you know, with uh, moving to Los Angeles from Dallas and just being a kid from Texas that, you know, moved to Hollywood and from nothing, you know, and, and no, you know, just and had to go through those hardships to get to where I am now, you know, two Grammys later and still, still counting. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. With more to come, right? More to come. Story still being told. Mm. So, what instruments do you play? Um, I actually play drums. I play piano and I play guitar, bass guitar. And so have I you play. always played instruments? Like, has it always has music always been a part of your life? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in church. Uh, I grew up in the church, so like, I that's kind of where I got my training ground. Like, um, you know, I'm from the south, so. Church is really big out here, you know. Um, so, like, I'm a preacher's kid, and growing up in the church, moms had me up in there all the time. <laughs> so, I found something though that really uh, I took a liking to. Like, ever since I was a toddler, mom said I was beating on pots and her pans. And when we go to my granny's house, she had like these paint buckets, gallon paint buckets out that were emptied out. I would turn them over and beat on them with sticks. Okay, hey, you could have gotten a job on. Hollywood Boulevard when you were a kid. <laughs> right. I was, I was doing that at, at uh, three and four years old. So right. drums were really like the first thing that just really intrigued me, uh, my mind and my ear and just beats. You know, that's that's kind of where it started for me. So when I started doing that, mom's got me a drum set. My first drum set when I was four years old. And oh, wow. Yeah, that's so, awfully brave of her. I don't know if I'd be able to handle all that noise. <laughs> she got, a, I got on her nerves. She couldn't stand it. Like, but she understood the gift that was in her child, and I appreciate her for, um, you know, investing that and and putting that into me. Because look at me now. I mean, from there, I started there, and then it was like by the time I was nine, I was playing piano, you know, and then by I mean my teenage years, I'm I'm on the guitar. So, and production started shortly after I started learning how to play piano. 
Okay. Yeah. So explain to someone who's not in me, like what exactly does a music producer do? And like, I know you can play music, but then you're putting all the tracks together and all the different layers of it. Or what exactly is a music producer? Well, a music producer is someone who sees the overall vision. Um, I had to learn this to say I learned this when I moved to Los Angeles and, and also, um, Shout out to Rodney Jerkins, Dark Child, because uh, this, you know, he's a GOAT producer, you know, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, all of the greats. That's who really, that's where I got a lot of my my uh, chops up and my training from um, after I got signed and I moved out there. Like, he really showed me how to go from being a beat maker to an actual record, you know, producer, music producer, mm -hmm. because there is definitely a difference. Um, okay. I came out to, to Los Angeles being a beat maker, being an incredible beat maker. I used to do beat battles and stuff, uh, and I would win. I'm undefeated. I'd never gotten other anything other than first place in a beat battle. But moving to Los Angeles taught me how to <laughs> taught me how to um, you know understand that pre production is important. The songwriting process is important. Um, the recording process is important. And after the recording process of the vocals going back and doing post-production on uh, once always, you have- Always editing, editing. It's editing. Like, like I'm a writer and filmmaker. Yeah. So it's the same thing as you're always edit. It's you always know? edit. So yeah. producers are really, you know, we're, we're more than just uh, a programmer. We, we have to see the entire vision of the artist. We have to, you know, be pretty much, you know, involved in the entire process, the writing process. Even if you're not writing, you still, you every producer should be a writer. I feel like you should, learn to write or at least because you got to have an ear you're, you're pretty much an a and r you know you're pretty mm -hmm. much a, a, an a r as a producer because you have to be able to pick out what's hot or what's not you know if this artist is recording vocals and did they hit that run right or did or did they give their all you know um, yeah like it was like I can't sing. I won't. I won't. <laughs> I won't make anyone listen to me sing right now. That, that I won't. I won't make any of you do that. <laughs> I got you, but but see, to be able to bring the best out of you, though, you know, at the end of the day, you, as a producer, as a as a hit making producer, you have to be able to bring the best out of the artist and give them the best product. You know, I mean, that's what they that's what they're paying you for. That's what they're coming to you for to trust that you're going to give them the best. So that's how I look at it. And I learned from a lot of the best, you know, from Babyface to Dark Child, you know, Rodney Jerkins, you know, Montel Jordan, different people that have been in the game for years, legends. And that's where, um, you know, that's where I learned. So just like I said, from the beginning of it, when you just have a, you may just have a piano progression or a guitar uh, progression or chords that you, that you write into. And from there, you have the artist going after you write the song. It doesn't even have to be a full production. It can just be just that one guitar loop or that one piano loop. And you can write an entire hit song from that. And then you have the mm -hmm. artist going, yeah, have the artist go in, record a scratch demo to it, or have the writer go in, record a scratch demo. And then the artist will, you know, lay vocals eventually. And then you can go back and do all the post-production where you add drums and strings and mallets, you know, bass guitars and 808s, whatever you need, just depending on the genre of the music. Mm -hmm. um, so that's 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 where I come from, and that's the era that I I feel like you know people like Rodney and T 
Timberland and those different art uh, producers that I've studied for years, Jermaine Dupri, and you know those are people that I really look up to and that I have been following for years. So. And why do you look up to them? I, I look up to them because I feel like they came through a, an era of music when it was like, you know, before all the. I mean, I'm not knocking anybody that can make beats on a laptop. I, I think I got a lot of homies that are brilliant, <laughs> you know, from making beats on a laptop and off loops. I mean, they're phenomenal. You know, my hat goes off to them. There's nothing wrong with it. You got to get it how you live. I understand and I respect it. But um, for me, I guess I was able to be able to catch best of both worlds. So where I, I grew up on, you know, um, Quincy Jones and, and Teddy mm -hmm. Riley and and Dark Child, like, you know, different ones of that nature, Michael Jackson, James Brown, and then still young enough to understand, um, you know, like Future and the Baby and, you know, different to be to be relevant you know, at the same time. So um, I think that for me, it really with the with the OGs, you know, like Timberland and those different ones, Swiss Beats as well. Shout out to Swiss, too. He's dope. Um, they just really had a lot of musicianship in their production, you know, especially coming through the 90s when I was, you know, adolescence and 90s and early 2000s in high school and graduating and stuff and just being so inspired by, um, you know, the sound of music at that time was just so phenomenal. I, I feel like the 90s, the 80s and the 90s had some of the best music. I, I know that's probably a, <laughs> like an argument, that's an argument waiting to have or a debate waiting to happen, right? But right, right. the 80s and the 90s like had some of the greatest music, um, you know, that, that was that was being created at that time. And why do you think it was the greatest? Just, I mean, again, I feel because it wasn't, it was before the, before the eighties. Well, I guess what going from the seventies to the eighties, uh, it was a lot of what pretty much just musicians that were recording the compositions, right? You know, Quincy Jones was producing them and you had the musicians going in, the drummer would go in and he actually would record, play. And I mean, a lot of rock bands and stuff still do it now, but I guess the programming side of things, you know, as technology began to evolve and to see how, um, you know, producers were able to evolve and understand technology and programming uh, beat machines and NPCs and stuff like that. Because I started, I was, I'm an NPC guy. I don't know if you know what an NPC No, is. I don't know what that is. Please, please elaborate. It's a beat machine. So uh, an NPC is a beat machine. That's how you program your uh, music, your drum, you sequence your uh production in it it's pretty much like a like the brain of the it's what you connect everything to your your keyboard all your sounds they'll run through that npc you know little pads on there that you you know you oh uh, the, you, the okay I yeah understand. yeah so you, i think i've seen people play on that. yeah exactly so that that was like you know one of the greatest creations you know coming from just musicians going into you know um going into like the 80s and, and 90s uh, of music and when that came about it just seemed like the the drums and the the patterns and the production just went to a different level and but they still use live instruments too that's the cool part so mm -hmm. they was able to still be musicians but at the same time understand uh how to use the npcs and program and sequence through those and i feel like it just it was just fascinating to me and maybe because i'm an 80s baby you know <laughs> maybe that's why you know that's the era that i grew up in so yeah, maybe that's why. So how did your 
childhood affect your music? Like, how did that inspire you with your with your musical route that you took in life? Um, I got to go back to the church. I always got to give respect uh, to the church because that was like my my roots. That was my everything. Um, you know, I had I grew up in and I was the drummer of my church when I was uh, nine, one oh eight. Yeah, eight or nine years old. That's when I became like the head drummer of my church. So it like really influenced me just like gospel music um, is one of the most complex, <laughs> like, I guess, genre or musically, like, you know, you have to be really musically inclined to, uh, to, to. Play, to play gospel music. Like okay. you got you to gotta be a real musician. Like you can't just like program gospel you can't fake it yeah you, you can't mean. fake it or use you know you have to really like and again ain't, i'm not you know knocking anybody that produces uh through like you know loops and stuff but i'm just saying that you have to be a musician basically and that's that's where i got my um a lot of my training ground was just you know in the church like we would have different uh rehearsals band rehearsals choir rehearsals, you know, all kind of rehearsals. But at these rehearsals, we in there for hours and we just having jam sessions. Like the rehearsal will be over like in an hour. We stay like four hours later just in there just jamming, you know, jam sessions and learning off of each other, shedding off each other. And that's where I learned how to play a lot of the the, the keyboard, the piano, chords and different things like that and guitar and with the drums. So I would say that a lot of that was very influential to what, led to me, you know, my music production because as my my um my ability to play music uh, got better or play instruments grew, my production grew. You know, it just once I got better on my on instruments, I got mm -hmm. better on piano, then now my production is better because I can, you know, I can play more things. I can do more, you know, more uh different variety of sounds and and you know chords and things like that so it just all it was all beneficial for for my sound overall and shaped my sound and helped me to really just become a producer and going from my teenage well my preteens to teenage years i see yeah and what's your favorite instrument to play i would say <laughs> my favorite instrument will forever be drums Ever be drums. That was my first love. Because you want to make all that noise, right? I want to make noise, yeah. But see, I, I, I honestly play, I'll say I honestly play piano more mostly now, um, simply because I don't know, it just seem like I've gravitated to it more because I understand how important it is to, to be a piano player and mm -hmm. how, how important it is on um, music production. But my favorite instrument, yes, yeah, it'll forever be drums. I mean, I. That was the first thing I started doing, you know? Making all that noise, making all that noise. <laughs> and your poor mother having to listen to all that. Shout out to mom. So, um, well, is there anything, I think we're gonna wrap it up at a, in a, in a, um, in a little bit. Um, is there anything else that, I think we have a little while longer, but is there anything that you would give like a first time musician, like what's your, other than you said relationships, what else would, would someone need to know? Um, about just the industry and just 
how to really uh, get started, I would say outside of your relationships and making sure you um, take care of your relationships because they'll take care of you, um, you know, still learn the business, you know, try to learn the business uh, as much as you can. I mean, it's, it's not going to be, again, it's not an overnight thing. Some things you'll, I mean, you can go to school for, you can take classes and, and stuff, which is always going to be helpful. Uh, some things just happen also just through experience. So as you, you know, run into these situations, because you will run into different situations. <laughs> so as you run into these situations, um, just make sure that you think before you speak, or like I said, have representation, have a, a good attorney, entertainment lawyer that, uh, you know, they're experienced in, in what they're doing and that believes in you and, you know, and also, if you can find a manager that believes in you as well, uh, that would be good because you just want to be able to try to stay away from uh, being your spokesperson. You know, you want to be. Yeah, it's not good to negotiate for yourself. I know that. Like, it's always better yeah. to have someone else talk for you. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you it's, can have hard feelings and people get their feathers ruffled and yeah like yeah it's, and, and i had to learn that you know and it's and it's it just does it's just not as professional um to to you know represent your own business your own brand like that even if you are just coming into the game you still want to move accordingly you know i mean you mm -hmm. want to move like you're already like you've been like you know what you're doing here you know because you want that respect you want people to treat you as such, you don't want to be treated like, oh, okay, this this dude don't know what he's doing. Because if that's the case, that's when they're gonna try to throw anything your way, you know. Um, so it's better to get an entertainment attorney than earlier, like as soon as you can. Then basically, is yeah, what you're saying? if you can, yeah, if you can afford that, and if that's, but I but I, I get it though, because a lot of young, aspiring, you know, producers, songwriters, artists, they they don't. I mean, I have the means to do that right that moment. Like me, I didn't have the money to afford no lawyer or attorney when I first, you know, started doing this, you know. Right. But at the same time, like I said, it's it's just uh, relationships. So maybe you can find a way to work something out with that lawyer or that attorney or on some kind of way that could work out. You know, if something right. happens for you, then he can get something later on on the back end. You know, just it's just different ways to do it. Now. You know, it's, it's different ways to work things out. Um with people that you know that can represent you because a lot of people are looking for uh talent forever right they're looking for right. talented producers they're looking for talented writers and, and artists so uh one of the other things i would say would be to um make sure that you're really uh never never stop being a student mm -hmm. uh stay, stay humble um even with when you do get to a point where you've reached a certain level of success, still be able to learn something, you know, still, still be able to be taught or teachable. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody knows everything. <laughs> right. right. And, and it's like, it goes a long way. I'm not saying not to toot your own horn sometimes, cause you know, every now and then it's, it's good to go out and celebrate your wins and feel yourself. You know, you're feeling yourself and you feel good about what happened or say you just want a, a, a you know, you just want a Grammy or whatever the case may be. <laughs> Our Golden Globe. A Golden Globe, yeah, whichever one, or Oscar. So you want to celebrate those, celebrate your time, celebrate those moments. That's healthy, you know, but 
go right back to get right back in the grind mode. Like I tell a lot of people, shoot, I work every day. I, I sit down and I, at my at my desk behind me, my keyboard and my beat machine, and I, I produce music like I don't have any anything, no accolades.